0: This is Joy Gilfill and host of I Change Justice, where members of the restorative community coalition talk civics with people who are living in the aftermath of an arrest. People confronting the compound dilemmas, ripple effects and consequences on their family, friends and taxpayers. Listeners discretion is advised for this information can be disturbing and can trigger an emotional reaction. This is about lived experiences discussed for taxpayer education and to advance justice system reform. It is not to be used for legal advice. Hello, this is Joy Gilfillan with I Change Justice Podcast and our episode today has to do with trauma trapping. How homelessness affects families generationally. And the term trauma trapping is about being able to look at the tra- at the traps that we have in our society that make um, trauma difficult to talk about. People think of trauma oftentimes as just the trauma sustained in a car accident or you know a physical trauma. What we're talking about here is the emotional trauma that people have been sustaining over the past couple of years, especially since 2020, especially since COVID, but even before that. So generational trauma comes from poverty. It comes from mental illness. It comes from people who have been incarcerated. And then the, the trauma of the incarceration rolls down over time and space. But in Whatcom County specifically since 2020, we've had some real serious issues with homelessness. And it was it was building up prior to that. So our conversation today is with Nisa and Wendy, two people who have been a mother and daughter who have been dealing with trauma. Trauma and Homelessness in Watcom County for the last few years. And then we also have as guests on the show, Debbie David, who has herself dealt with trauma issues as a homeless advocate and as a person working with people and being dealing with homelessness. Shanae Kelts, who also for a period of time was there. Um, these are two of our board members who will be speaking today. I'm going to open with... Um, sh- um, Debbie actually talking about the rise in mental illness or trauma and distress that teenagers are facing right now, according to a pediatric um, group. Can you talk about that, Debbie?
1: Yes, Joy. Thank you. And I'm um, happy to be here. And thank you to our guests, um, sh- uh, Shanae and Nissa and our daughter, Wendy. Thank you for being here. So, yes, what's been happening and the increase um, began statistically in 2018 with emergency room visits um, of our pediatric patients for mental health issues. And in October of 2021, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Pediatric Psychiatry and the American Children's Hospital Association, issued a state of emergency, a mental health crisis for the United States because of the increased, um, traumatic increase that they're seeing in mental health issues. Um, They said that it's inextricably tied to stress brought on by COVID, uh, but the actual numbers increased prior to that, as I referenced in 2018. And part of the reason this is so concerning is that we already know that our uh, mental health support system in the United States is overwhelmed and the need is much greater than what is available for support and what our families are struggling with and the children are experiencing until we increase the social support, it doesn't look like it's going to improve anytime soon. So talking about it, bringing awareness about this situation, um, and attempting to direct resources to support this is critical at this point. Absolutely. Thank you,
0: Debbie. Uh, Nisa, I'd like you to introduce yourself briefly. Now, we we did an episode a couple weeks ago about what it was like for you and your family when you went from being a homeowner and living just fine and one cri- being one crisis away from homelessness, and then suddenly your family got hit sideways and you went over the edge. And so you ended up in homelessness. So can you just give us a quick summary of, of how that happened, what happened that that happened, so that people can understand that homelessness is not something you intended to be in? I mean, this is Um, not a normal situation. So tell us what happened to your family briefly, and then we'll come back and have Wendy talk some more about some of the impacts that happened when suddenly you found yourself homeless.
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, Well, we had moved to Whatcom County um, maybe 10 years ago, and we were kind of starting life over. We had moved from New York state and we were on track to start, putting money away for a house for ourselves we rented we had a rental that we were a house that we were renting there in Blaine and you know everything was on track my husband had a really good job he was commercial truck driver um, the kids were going to school everybody was all set in their positions and what they were doing and um, suddenly I get a call on the phone on my cell phone and it says You know, some woman's on the other end, and I'm trying to figure out who this woman is. And she's telling me my husband's been in this horrific accident where a drunk driver T-boned his big rig, totaled his big rig. Fuel leaked down the road. His DEF uh, was leaking down the road. His battery bank was, you know, doing its little sparky thing because it had been impacted. Uh, He'd hit a, a power pole. And it broke in half and live lines lay on his truck. The stuff of Hollywood movies, really. Wow. And uh, he had to jump for his life. We're very lucky to have him today. And so this was something that just happened to us. It wasn't our fault. Nothing. We didn't do anything wrong. Right. Someone chose to drive drunk that day. And it completely changed our lives that day. And that's how we ended up being homeless, basically, in a nutshell.
0: So in short, it was you and your husband and he has car accident injuries and damage and yep. you were suddenly thrown out with finan- massive financial debt. Oh, there's absolutely. no safety net. Talk about that, that there's no yeah. safety net at all for you.
2: There was nothing. I mean, our family and friends um, helped us pay our rent for a year, but I didn't work. I have disability, so I didn't, I didn't work. My one son has disability. Um, but it's still not enough to live on. It's not meant to be lived on. So that's sure. all the income we had. Basically, our sole income source was gone in a split second. You know, okay. um, We went to Opportunity Council at one point and asked for help. Yeah, basically, their idea was to split us all up. Uh, my two sons going into their own housing, You know, each into their own apartments, and the rest of my family sticking together that that meant me my husband and my three daughters but with the special needs that my sons had i didn't feel that was really going to work and my husband has a traumatic brain injury due to this accident now and i didn't feel like i could leave my kids with him alone and we kind of needed the two boys to help us out and we kind of all worked together and supported created a support system with the seven of us and to break us apart like opportunity council wanted to do just wasn't helpful. Uh, But basically, we were told there was no system by which we could all stay together. We would have to be split up. That was the way they, that was their answer.
0: So Uh, the only option you had was to get a trailer, move into it, and start traveling and living the best we
2: could. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We had to move every 24 hours to 48 hours, depending on the time, because they changed the time frame that you could stay on the road and blame. Um, also, because of COVID, things changed dramatically there. The uh, governor spoke to everybody the day that that edict came down, but he didn't speak to the homeless. There was nothing said about the homeless. We were given no direction. Shelter in place was what everybody was told. Right. How do you shelter in place when you don't have a place? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, we at least had a travel trailer, but as we talked about uh, before we started this interview, Seven people in a 24 foot travel trailer, 240 square feet, you know, is a disaster in and of itself. You know, how do you keep all those people mm-hmm. happy in such a small space? You're talking two bedrooms
0: worth. So, and you're all crammed in. So the, the safety net for someone there was- in a disaster, and then you had law, you had legal issues, insurance issues, liability issues, hospital issues, all this stuff going on as an adult level. What kind of things were affecting you, Wendy, as a young teenager or as a young person in this family? What happened to you? And you don't have to go into all the the horribleness of it, because I'm sure that's Mm -hmm. not easy to talk about. But how did that feel going from suddenly having a home to Uh, your whole world in chaos?
3: Honestly, it was a bit stressful because it was like, oh wow, we have our, our room and now, and now we have this tiny little like closet of a room with bunk beds that are like thin as anything, and it's it, we had to be grateful because that's all we had. I didn't want to sleep on the wet ground where I didn't want. It was it was just very stressful. We were always at each other's throats, uh, arguing about the pettiest things. And then at school, I was stressed out of my mind. And this was around the time where I was just diagnosed with uh, seizures and stuff. So I was getting my medicine under control and still having seizures and still trying to get school under control. It was stressful. It was chaotic at its best, I guess.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing that.
2: About, yeah, no the, about the same time as she had been diagnosed with her se- absent seizures,
3: mm-hmm. her
2: youngest sister was also diagnosed with hypothyroidism, and with that came a lot of mental health issues, a lot of behavioral issues,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, uh, just a lot of things going on all at once at the same time. So, so
0: the, you know, the we're extreme. talking about
2: the one daughter, but, you know, this younger daughter also had issues going on at the same time. It's pretty difficult, pretty hard.
0: In a few hundred square feet. Mm-hmm. And,
2: and less than a few hundred square feet, yes.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's unbelievable. And if you go outside, then there's additional stressors once you leave the shelter of the actual trailer. Oh, but absolutely. The, the stressors that happen in the streets and the vulnerability that your family was experiencing out there.
2: Well, part of that is that, you know, you don't have control over who who comes and parks next to you. You know, right. um, you don't have control over the per- person behind you, in front of you, the people that roll up next to you. Um, you don't have control over the people driving past that want to yell things at you and mm-hmm. um, create trauma because they're, they're t- calling you names and they're throwing eggs at your, your trailer and, mm-hmm. you know, tries, traumatizing your children. Uh, you don't have control over anything when you're sitting out on the road, um, and everybody can see everything that goes on.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're so you're vulnerable to being observed. So suddenly you Absolutely. become an object of speculation. You oh, sure. an object of uh, intimidation. You become an object of somebody that you can throw tomatoes at or whatever if you want. Absolutely. If you're angry, you can take out your anger on them, and so you're dealing yeah. with a lot of people who are stressed and then you've oh, got the righteous people who think yeah. that you're just not able to get a job and you're shiftless and lost. Well, oh, yeah, we, we would
2: have people drive by at the wee hours of the morning and late at night and they would honk their horn, the full length of the block that we were on. Uh, really just to, just to harass us. We would have people that would drive by all the time, honk their horns and say, get a job, you know, stop being lazy, you know, you know you're drug addicts and and this that and the other which we weren't
3: that honked all the way around the block and did it for like five times around and like it wasn't just us that was upset it was other truck drivers that needed to get rest for their morning work it was other co-workers trying to do their job and they just hear this honk all around the the shopping mall Mm -hmm. shopping block Mm -hmm. and i'm like what is going through their head? What what makes them think this? Yeah. Like, I understand other people have problems, sure. but I was, like, kind of curious of, like, why did they need to do it, you know? What, it was just to show, on?
2: just to bully us, really, you know?
3: Mm-hmm. But it,
2: it, it would make me angry because, you know, if my children were out there or even in the trailer... You know, I was worried about their safety. Yeah, we couldn't be left Uh, alone. We we never allowed them to be left alone. If they Mm -hmm. went anywhere in lane, they always had an older brother with them. Mm
3: -hmm. And or other adult that was safe. Or another
2: safe adult, yeah. We didn't let them go places on their own. They had no... As a teenager, you know, you're allowed Mm -hmm. to go to the library. You're allowed to go to the corner store. You have a little bit of freedom my children didn't have that because we were always under scrutiny and we were always worried somebody would do something to our kids. Mm -hmm. And so we always had an extra safety net for
0: them because we wanted to make sure they were okay. So what you found is that the stress, the stress compounded and you become hyper surveillance. Like you started to have like antenna everywhere as to how you, because you weren't just, you didn't have anything uh, of a comfort zone around you. No, you had no guaranteed safety. Like, like even when you play on a, on a playground, you've got a teacher out there that says, here's the safety zone. You know, you can come over here and stand here and you'll be safe. Like any game that you play is like that. But when you're living homeless on the street, there is yeah. What does that feel like to you, Wendy, as a, as a young person, did you feel like suddenly you went from I mean, I'm not gonna put words in your mouth, beforehand yeah. the safety felt maybe a certain way, and then afterwards
3: yeah.
0: <clears throat> there's
3: one time where where COVID just hit, instantly just shut down all the schools. We were pulled out of school because mom knew that that they were gonna do it anyway. And so I came home one night and I was thinking why why is this happening and i just was like mom why can't this just stop right like i was crying i was blubbering i was so upset that this was happening and i was like why can't i just go back to school i mean i just want to get school get school done and i just want to play with my friends without having to wear masks and stuff and i can't do that i can't even go to the library right
2: and I it's it was terrible yeah. yeah COVID kind of reigned in that freedom even more because like like she says the library was kind of a safe place for mm-hmm. them they could go there after school they could get their homework done sometimes and they could play on the internet and just have fun with their friends mm-hmm.
0: and so after this homeless, COVID turned, we couldn't do it so your homeless situation started what year roughly
2: Um, Let's see here. We're in 22. So it would be 16. 2016 is when my husband had his accident. So 2017, early 2017.
0: So you were already homeless for for three years, mostly living in Blaine. Is that correct?
2: Mostly, yes.
0: And so in Whatcom County, a lot of times people talk about all the homeless in downtown. But in fact, we've got a homeless crisis across the county in different cities.
2: Absolutely. I would say that some cities in Whatcom County are better about helping the homeless than others. Um, a lot of the outlying ones, like Blaine, is probably about the furthest north because we're right on the border. But then I would say going out towards Linden, going out Deming, areas like that, um, the treat the, the, the help is non existent as you get out out further in the county. The only place to really get help, honestly. Is in Bellingham. Uh, that's why you see a lot, so many homeless people in Bellingham because it's the, it's the center for the county. Basically, it's where most of the tax base is. It's where so, the county is represented. Is in Bellingham.
0: You know. So it's interesting to me. I was watching in 2011. Clear back in 2011, they were talking about 60. 60 Minutes did a bunch of episodes, and people can look this up on YouTube. It, it got my first attention. They said the hard times generation. And it's episode after episode after episode that first was one of the first ones was about just homeless kids. And another one was about families living in cars. And another episode by 2020 was about 60 Minutes Rewind, Hard Times Generation. And they really talk about the plight of the homeless. And they were specifically working in Florida. But I know that you've got some recent statistics that say, uh, Washington is ranked what in the number nation? five in the
2: nation for homeless people. In other words, we have the uh, we are down on uh, of the highest population of homeless people. We are number five in the nation. Washington state is number five in the nation. I thought that was pretty pretty huge. Yeah, because Washington, you know, we have a huge land land size. We have a lot of acreage. But our population is not nearly like California, New York, Florida, Texas, that have these that are are even more populated with homeless people than we are. But I thought it was pretty big that we were number five in the nation for a population of homeless.
0: Yeah. Uh, So dealing with homelessness as an economic issue is really a pretty substantial issue. It is very substantial. Yeah. And and it's not... City, it's county, it's every county. It's federal it's government, every it's county.
2: Um, there's a lot of funds, and I guess Inslee, uh, part of this, this that I, I looked at was that Inslee's asking for a little bit more money, uh, but he's already put taxes out for Washington State to help f- to pay for some homeless programs that he's trying to institute. Uh, but he's asking for some more money uh, from the federal government. So some of that money is coming from the feds um, to help us out. But 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 the thing thing is, though, is that I personally think the money is not being very well
0: spent. It's
2: just sitting there in the coffers and it's not really being spent effectively.
0: Yeah. So let's go back to your family and the issue of schooling. And, Wendy, what happened to you when you were in school and suddenly you're living homeless and you've got a, a, a trailer and you can't get computers, you can't get internet because everything, a lot of those mm-hmm. things went online. How did that affect you as a young, young person trying to get your schooling done?
3: Um, it affects me pretty, pretty drastically. Um, like it was really, really hard to get um, schooling done since there was three of us girls to get schooling done, and we only really had mom's phone that had mm-hmm. uh, internet. We would have to take turns in order to get it done and we would end up fighting about it and we wouldn't do anything because
2: it, it was, was difficult
3: too hard like i didn't want to fight you know and i was too stressful as is to get it done and over with at a certain timeline and it's just we i just didn't do it mm-hmm. in my opinion
0: so that was phone. You only had a phone. You didn't even have a, a small computer or anything. You couldn't get oh, any of those. We off. had
2: computers, but the problem was, is where are we going to charge? them? we didn't have a generator at that point. Sure. There was no way to charge them. So they would take their computers over to their friends' houses and they would charge them up. And they would do homework over the weekends and at their friends' houses. Because, uh, again, after COVID started the library was closed and they used to take them over there and they would do it over at the library. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it became very hard. And that's one of the reasons why I pulled them out of school. Not only did I think it was not safe to be in school, but also additionally, I knew they were going to um, internet-based schooling and I knew we, we, we couldn't provide that. And there was no mechanism when COVID first hit to get the kids hotspots so that they could do stuff at home.
0: Now, uh, they that and all of those things cost additional money money. and there wasn't that support money and
2: power money and power electricity we just didn't have the electricity you know so even if we had had the hot spot we couldn't have run it Mm -hmm. you know lucky lucky for me that and for my children that i had a a two-year degree in uh, college that i could pull them out of school and i could teach them in different ways we Mm -hmm we got workbooks and things like that and that oh, kind of helps. Yeah, yeah, we went to Barnes and Noble's and I bought them each a workbook and mm-hmm. they started working through those notebooks, those workbooks. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. how we that's how we started the homeschooling for them.
3: To be honest, I didn't really like the workbooks, but <laughs> but I started working on some science stuff and that's where I really started my homeschooling stuff and I found it was really entertaining and like really I, I could sit there all day and just work on science. Scientific work. things, yeah. Yeah. So, I really
2: the science.
0: so, you were able to do some escape work, and so, I, yeah. I'm going to call it escape because you were escaping from the nightmare of living and you yeah. were able to get into something that captured your attention and you oh. could focus. Mm-hmm. Yes.
3: Yeah. Um, I also, since, since we had nothing else to do, I, I spent a lot of my time sleeping and I know it's not the best thing to do, but that's all I could do. I slept, woke up to eat and then went back to bed. And that's kind of a form of depression,
2: you know, that's, Yeah. Well, I, I think a lot of our kids were depressed. I think we were depressed on some level. Some of us worked through it better than others. Mm hmm.
0: So dealing with the isolation, because there's invariably isolation that comes, you were talking to me about managing your clothes and having difficulty yeah. with weight and public image mm-hmm. and talk about how the harassment from other kids or the support from other kids, what were the things that you had to do to cope with these things?
3: That was really, I, well, I think is I don't, it's really hard to reach out to people. Yeah. Um, Uh, and like talk to adults that can actually help me uh, get through it and stuff and sometimes it's even hard to talk to my own mother about it because of what what was happening and stuff and so I just held it in I didn't tell anyone and and once it got bad enough and I was like hey mom you know this kid's really bullying me and it's happened more than once you know and it's just really hard trying to talk to like principal or the teacher and stuff and, and i just don't know what to do and so i just break down at that point and yeah. i just i can't deal with it at that
0: point Absolutely. so part of the so i'm going to speculate here wendy was part of that that you didn't want to put more burden on your mom when she's already dealing with so much so you yeah. actually end up carrying a burden
3: uh-huh. because
0: you don't know that they can help anyway and if you yeah. don't talk about it you can pretend it's not happening
3: yeah I guess so <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah she actually did tell me that
2: last night we were talking somewhat about um her feelings and that over yeah, the last couple years yeah she said it's really nice to be able to call grandma because you know grandma's like a my best friend and I just thought that was really sweet. She can talk yeah. to our grandma when she can't talk to other people. And then when she gets talk- then talking to grandma, she would come and talk to me. Yeah. And one of the things she said was, I don't want to burden you, mom. I don't want to upset you. I don't want to um, tell you how I feel because I don't want you to be sad. I don't want you to be upset. And um, I just really tore up my heartstrings because I can remember feeling that way when I was younger, you know, when when my mom was going through divorce and things like that, trying to keep all that stuff in, even though I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs. And it made me feel pretty bad that she was going through a lot of that same kind of trauma that I did when I was younger, because I didn't want that for any of my family. This is none of this. I mean, and you hear people say, oh, you know they're just lazy the homeless are just lazy they'd rather be homeless than go out and get a job or work or or do these things that they'd rather they want to be homeless kind of a thing and it's just not true i don't know anybody out there that wants to be homeless particularly That's right. um, not something i would wish on my worst enemy and i would certainly hope that people would uh, be able to look at that in a different way and realize that people really don't want to be homeless they want to be respected they want to be Um, valued just like anybody else.
3: When we first went out, when we first like were on the road and stuff, I mean, we were all positive. We're like, oh, it's just an extended like adventure road trip, you know. Camping. And then over the years, we just, it all became negative because it wasn't ending and we're just tired of it and we just wanted our own own place and stuff. And we just needed that security that
2: we have now yeah well you you know you if we can go back to the safety net we talked about earlier you know you talked about what kind of a safety net Well, you know you think that insurance is going to come through and help you out you know you think you know he's doing a job that business is going to help you out you know because you did this on when you were working for them you were on the clock you know Um, You figure L and I that they're going to help you, you know, Mm -hmm. but none of that surfaced. None of that came to fruition when we needed the help. And it took us five years to get a settlement. Wow. Almost, almost, almost five and a half years to get a settlement.
0: So there was a five year gap between the crisis incident. Right. And relief. When we saw any money whatsoever, so to speak. And in the Um, five years in between you're scrapping to live and you're scrapping yeah, to protect every your children, day. and you're protecting tra- scrapping to protect your heart and try to figure yeah. out how to manage your food and your Absolutely. electricity and where you're going to sleep overnight and so that yeah. stress has yeah. really heavily impacted you and your very children. much
2: very much so very much so Wow! Um, and, and the, the thing that really hurts i think is that there's no easy way to get rid of that even though we're no longer on the road and we're no longer homeless so to speak there's no way to fix that Mm -hmm. except for go through therapy and counseling and really do that but you've got to be out of that situation for that to make any kind of a difference Mm -hmm. whatsoever because as you're talking about this it's the trauma is a daily thing
0: yeah and you can feel it and you know one of the things i want to say to you wendy and to your whole family here thank you so much for having the courage to speak up.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, We feel that if no one talks about it, Mm -hmm. if no one discusses it, if no one knows about it, how is it supposed to change? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can remember when, before all this happened. Yeah, you know, kind of brush it like the dirt under the carpet, you know. But I can remember thinking a lot of the same things. People would drive past and yell at us, you know. Mm-hmm. I can remember thinking those same things. Oh, they're lazy. They should go get a job. You know, I can remember thinking a lot of those same things. And now I realize that it was really unfounded. You know? Yeah. I, I, it's just because I didn't understand like I do now. I wish everybody for the sake of understanding could live in our shoes for a day just to see what it's like um, i wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy i don't want anybody to be homeless it's not a nice thing even though we had an rv it's not a nice thing
0: you'd like and them to have the knowledge not the i just experience. want them to
2: understand <laughs> i want them debbie and i talked about this last night it would be nice nice you know you have driving simulators you have flight simulators It'd be nice if they had a homeless simulator, you know, so that people can kind of live through some of that and have that, that hardship of trying to source their food, trying to look for resources, trying to get a job, trying to get a shower, um, having to throw away food because it wasn't cold enough and you don't know if it's safe or not. You know,
0: all those things impact your life when you're homeless. So, Debbie, do you want to speak to that for a minute? Because I know you've dealt with some of this.
1: Yes, Joy, thank you. And what's interesting, um, yeah, we did talk about it Be interesting to have a simulator like that. And there is an actual poverty simulation and, and a website to, like, go through and see what that's like. But it's not as extreme, obviously, as sure. what it's like to live homeless. Um, right my first experience being homeless was actually decades ago when I left my, my first husband um, with three children because of domestic violence. And at that time there were shelters. um, And what's interesting is that the shelter lost its funding after we were there only three weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I had to scramble. I mean, we got, two days notice that the shelter was closing and my youngest wasn't even a year old at the time. I had three children. Wow, um, It's interesting. I haven't thought about that in years, Um, but obviously this problem with funding, appropriate support um, and housing for people that are fleeing because of either domestic violence or they can't stay anymore because their insurance settlement hasn't come in and They've got to do something different. It's been going on for decades. It's just more pronounced now.
0: Um, so there's there's actually been a loss, though, in the community on many levels. I mean, people talk about the fact that there's this program or that program, but a lot of those are patchwork programs, and they're for small numbers of people who are qualified in certain ways. But a broad scale safety net, we certainly don't have. So,
2: Definitely not. Well, the, the, that kind of goes with something else that I, I have a little bit of knowledge about is, you know, we talk a lot about homeless people and their mental health states. Uh, um, my son, uh, one of my sons ran away when he was 15. And uh, in the course of doing that, he was awarded a, a mental health bed at a homeless shelter. And, um, you know, that's, that's how he could stay safe. But we knew that within a few months of him you know, running away that the federal funding for such beds had diminished and the beds, instead of having say three at a facility, they now only had one or two and they might still have the 12 beds they had originally, but only those two beds now or one or two beds was marked for mental health issues. So the rest of them could be empty, but he wasn't allowed to have one of those beds because he needed a mental health bed, you know, and, and that's, that money comes from the federal government. So the federal government is pulling back those funds and has been pulling back those funds for a long time. And we knew about some of that way back in uh, New York because of their mental health. They had been in, a, in a, a facility at one point and they were supposed to be there for about a year for this special program that they were taking part of. And basically it closed down about three months early because this federal funding had been pulled back for mental health. And again, so- it's the same over and over again so this goes back at least 20 years that I can tell you
0: so in the last couple of years it's gotten even worse and I know Sinead that you actually were you've worked in crisis services and you have worked on the side of the employees working inside the system because it's not easy for the people working inside the system who have to abide by certain rules and regulations also I know you had a couple of thoughts you wanted to share Sinead um can you speak now
4: yeah, I can talk. Thanks, Joy. Uh, first, I want to say thank you, Nissa, and your family. Also, just mm-hmm. to echo Joy, uh, speaking up and speaking out—I think that that is what's going to help save our whole country. So, I appreciate mm-hmm. you. Thank I just you. wanted to say, and Debbie too. I love you so much, Debbie. Um, I just wanted to say that a couple different things. One is there are a lot of statistics on multi-generational homelessness. And one of the most recent statistics that I remember seeing or reading, I can't remember from where, was that uh, I think it was something around 40% of those experiencing homelessness had instability and security problems when they were children. Whether that meant that one one or both of their parents had experienced homelessness, uh, it doesn't matter if it was the actual child, I can tell you that because I wasn't homeless until I was a teenager, and my dad make made homelessness look easy because he was homeless because of his drug addictions and the things he chose to do. And 40% is such a big dumper. So another thing I wanted to bring up is the fact that when someone gets arrested, people don't realize that that is half of an income for a family. Yeah. Whether they're selling drugs to get the money or, or having a legitimate job, that's half the income gone. Absolutely. And I haven't researched this much, but it has really ignited a spark in me to look more into this is that exact problem with the system, not utilizing restorative justice, not looking at this, the crime that's happening as a family problem, but more as a financial problem. And so um, I'm really excited about what you've shared today because it just keeps me pushing mm-hmm. to learn more so that I can be more supportive. Um, I did have a homeless multiple times in my life for short periods uh, as a teenager and then again as an adult. Mm-hmm. And also working with homeless folks, uh, working in domestic violence shelters, it, there's a lot of things that are just absolutely astronomically hip- hypocritical and just wrong and backwards in the way that things work. Uh, having to hide a family from a violent offender, they shouldn't be the ones hiding, first of no. all. No, <laughs> and so not. that in itself is an issue for me. Um, it, it is. It's this this backwards way of thinking. And I, I'm just really glad to be here. And I hope that we can continue talking with you and your family. I know that Uh, We spoke to your daughter briefly in the previous episode, and we're really excited to hear back from her. And I'm just really appreciative and grateful for you guys today. That's all I have for you.
0: I want to ask, before we close up, I'd like to ask, what are the things from both of your perspectives, and if you had ideas that came from your other daughter as well, what are the most valuable things we sitting on the outside of the fence? Because technically, I don't know what it's like living like you had to live. I don't. I mean, I can, I've talked to a lot of people who have been there. I've watched it, but I haven't had to actually sleep in the middle of the night with violent type behaviors going on around me with seven people or five people in a trailer trying to figure out how in the heck I'm going to feed my kids tomorrow. I mean, I don't know what that is. So what do I need to know as a person who's out there? What is the level of compassion? Because, you know, I see the compassion in your daughter, Wendy. I I see your compassion for other people and your caringness. Mm -hmm. And this has got to have given you a whole different perspective on people Mm -hmm. who know things and people who don't. So Mm -hmm. what advice can you give us from your learned experience of living out there that would make it easier for us to be kind or rewind or redo things or you know I mean what do we need to know that I don't know that I couldn't possibly know because I'm not in your shoes
3: Um personally I know for like the younger generation like our kids around my age I would rather them ask questions instead of um, just stand there and like whisper to the friend like hey who is that kid you know I heard that so and so is behind the street you know yeah. I would rather them ask questions instead of, um, like, start rumors you. and talk behind my back and stuff. I'm okay with answering questions. That might be different with other people, but I'm okay with answering questions. I'd rather you ask questions instead of talking behind my back, because that makes me more insecure about my
2: situation. Sure. It makes me more nervous and stuff. Absolutely. I I think the big thing here kind of Mm -hmm. piggybacking on her is don't make assumptions about the people out there Mm -hmm. because every person's situation is different, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, and it doesn't necessarily come from alcohol abuse or substance abuse. Ours definitely wasn't that. And -hmm. I know there's a lot of other people out there that that have the same similar situation. They've been sick or um, I know I know a couple of people that are fighting cancer that are out on the street. And they have nowhere else to go and their treatment is so expensive that that's all they can do is live out of their car. I know people that have health issues and disabilities that simply cannot afford because they're on a fixed income. So they're in their cars for the same reason. Um, So don't assume that just because someone's out on the street that you know everything about them because you don't know anything. And the other thing I think I would like to say mm -hmm. is that um, even without COVID, even without being homeless, our teenagers need more outlets, better outlets.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I know that the Healthy Youth more Coalition kids. up in Blaine or in Whatcom County, mm-hmm. Northern Whatcom County, they put on a lot of programs that mm-hmm. were really beneficial for our teenagers before COVID hit. Yeah. and
3: Really, really... Um, the kids loved that we it. and uh, look forward to like uh, after school, at the end of the week, uh, especially... Um,
2: they had, that, like, a teen hangout teen night, night on yeah. Friday Friday or Saturday night. I'm pretty
3: sure it was Friday, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and, but um, it was something that us teens could look forward to. And yeah. I know from uh, a lot of my yes. friends that really look forward to it. But the thing is, so since COVID hit, um, it just had to stop. And that's what... We're hoping really they'll start back
2: up again. But but basically, we need more programs for our teenagers, mm-hmm. um, for sure, because... You know, they're not babies. They don't need to be babysat per se, Mm -hmm. but they need outlets. You know, the skate park up in Blaine was a really good place Mm -hmm. when the drug dealers weren't hanging around, you know. Mm -hmm. But there are healthy people out there to provide services for our teenagers. Mm -hmm. And I would really encourage that to happen. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. also encourage that if you know somebody that's homeless, offer them what you can. If you can offer them a shower, offer them a shower. If you can do a load of laundry for them, do a load of laundry because that, that helps them be more human. It helps them to mm-hmm. kind of shed some of that trauma and be able to say, okay, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We all need that light at the end of the tunnel. There
3: is a person that's looking after me. There is a person that, that cares. Ca- cares about me and, and doesn't just say, go get a job and you know, sh- sh- shouting nasty things at me. So there is hope. There is hope. Um, And then, and this will, and they have just this clear sight, I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Awesome. We would love to see homelessness go away. We would love to see Mm -hmm. tiny homes. We would love to see more inclusive programs for everybody. But yeah.
0: Well, and one of the things that I know that when I was talking to Doug at Homes Now, not later, and he was talking about the tiny home. He was actually talking about the fact that his programs allow people who are homeless to do things for themselves. And so so assuming that people have to have hired contractors to do things for them (laughs) is absurd. People want to do something. I mean, no one that, I mean, my experience is that most people don't want to not work. I mean, who wants to just sit all day long? You'd much rather do things. You'd much rather be part of your own solution. You'd much rather go to work. And part of the stress of not being able to do anything, not you being powerless to do anything to make any difference is the stress that adds to the mental illness, that adds to the trauma, that adds to anger outbreaks. I mean, all of that is part of this trauma trapping conversation that I want to, you know, we're going to have more conversations about that, but being the source of trauma isn't always where we think it is no
2: definitely not
0: so it's anybody have anything you want to uh, close up with we've got a couple minutes here if if you want to make a closing comment Wendy first um, as a young person how did this feel was this scary coming here was this okay um, did you feel was better, worse?
3: Nervous, but since I've been going through um therapy and counseling and stuff I've learned to speak up for myself, which I wasn't. I didn't have the nerve, I guess, to yeah. talk to, to people and stuff. I was more anxious and stuff. I was always on stealth, like you, uh, stealth mode, uh, like you said. And um, I was going back to what, what what it was like and stuff in my head, because I kind of just shut it all back in my head because it wasn't a real nice place to be. And I was going back to the school topic and I was like, well, I was on the volleyball um, team and I just before we were supposed to go out to go uh, play and stuff, um, somebody told me that this girl was telling me that I was too fat to be on the team. And I was like, I understand I'm overweight, but it's not that I can't be on the team, you know, I mean, she has her own problems, too, but she didn't need to. She could tell that to my face and stuff. And so people would just batter me about me being overweight, that I couldn't I, I wasn't talented enough to be on a team. And it's it was all terrible.
0: <laughs> so how does it feel coming on this conference call now and being able to speak about this?
3: Um, I guess it, it puts a lot of weight off my chest. It's knowing that some people actually want to listen to this. This, yes, um, podcast is some people that actually want to listen to hear what we have to make say and, and hopefully make changes and stuff sure. and I would really appreciate that if, if they're willing to do that for Thank you. everyone this else helps. yeah for everyone else because I'm no longer homeless <laughs> yeah a lot, a lot better
0: yeah and
3: so Wendy if a of, they yeah they so pressure on my shoulders and stuff it's letting me know to just calm down it's okay you know sure just breathe and stuff you
0: know so last question nisa what last comments do you have to make because there we need to wrap this up what is the what are your last comments
2: i just would hope that people listen to this and and are open to uh, making some of the changes that we've suggested some of kind of open people's eyes and hopefully this can help somebody to think about things a little differently see it from a different perspective and okay. maybe maybe if we've got a governor or a mayor or you know council member somebody somebody somewhere that has some power, maybe they'll they'll think about this and affect some good changes in their municipal government so that, people that are homeless can actually get some help
0: yeah and have a place to to camp and and put their cars and their trailers and their places so that they can be safe that's the number one thing it's not just housing it's safety safety is the number one issue
2: absolutely
0: so thank you so much for what you guys had to say I appreciate it Debbie and Sinead do you have a last minute line or two that you want to speak
4: No, I just wanted to say to Wendy and you guys like keep celebrating your success and I'm so happy for your new housing and hooray for you. Thank you you so much.
1: Debbie. And I'm there too, celebrating your success and the fact that you found the resilience to be able to continue day after day in what must've felt like forever waiting for things to change that you didn't give up. And and kudos to friends and family that were by your side encouraging you as well. So thank you. We could need, have done it without our friends and family. Exactly. So it takes a community to do that. And that's what we are, we need to do that. So again, thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you you so very much, all of you. And thanks to your family for putting up with so much dysfunction in this period of time and giving you the freedom. Your daughter actually encouraged us to go ahead and talk. And Mm -hmm. um, it came from the last conversation. So thank you all. Thank Mm -hmm. you to your family.
3: Thank you. And,
0: um, this is the an episode on trauma trapping. We will have a couple more episodes because trauma, understanding the traps we get into in our own minds that block us from seeing what's true. Uh, our perceptions block us. We put on blind spots. We live with denial because we don't want to talk about the uncomfortable stuff. No one wants to go back to the miseries you know so we try to pretend it didn't happen well the fact is it did happen it's happening in Washington county it's happening now COVID is not gone the trauma is not gone but we got to deal with it so thank you all very much um all of you and
2: thank have you a great
0: day friends you too bye-bye. Bye. bye-bye thank you all for listening please share our podcast with your friends and family subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, or from your favorite playlists. At therestorativecommunity.org, you're invited to subscribe to our newsletter, connect through social media, or send us feedback on our shows. If you're inclined to help, you can volunteer, donate, learn more, and connect at info@therestorativecommunity.org. Contributing helps us empower those silenced by oppression so they
1: can emerge into their higher potential. Thank you.